And uh, as he broke his arm, like his, you know, he hyperextended it. Jack Ray pulled his arm out and it's like limp and then like stuffed it in his belt and continued to fight with one hand and still won. What's the most efficient possible victory against this particular opponent? He's dropping off for the choke here. We could see the finish. It's looking tight. Tight at Alfred. Hey everyone, welcome to the Everyday Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kwan. The Everyday Jiu-Jitsu Podcast is everything you need to know about Jiu-Jitsu. And today I have Mr. Ricardo Amendolia. Welcome to the show, Ricardo. Thanks so much, man. Pleasure to be here. You said my name right, so that's awesome. (laughs) Actually, uh, I've heard your name a lot. I mean, obviously, you're one of the more well-known Jiu-Jitsu commentators out there right now working for uh, Flow Grappling. I see you on a lot of the big shows but I actually first heard of you. I remember I was, I think I was in my twenties and I was at my, in my apartment with my roommate and we were watching, Oh, I can't remember what network that was. Fight network. HD. What was it? It, uh, it had a bunch of ADCC breakdowns and I think you were commentating them with Robin black. Is that true? Uh, well, I used to work on the fight network and yeah, we had a best of ADCC show, uh, we never really, I never really worked with Rob Black. You know, I saw who's your co-host. I got you mixed up. Yeah. John Ramdeen, uh, Ram- John, John Ramdeen. Yeah. That's right. Oh, of course. Yes. And, uh, your name kept coming up and I was, I was always wondering like, cause I, I was really into jujitsu at that time. I think I was like a purple belt by the time I was watching these matches and I, I love watching old ADCC matches. Yeah. You know, that was like a really cool era because the styles hadn't really fully, uh, collaborated yet. It was kind of like MMA before MMA became MMA. Absolutely. And you had guys that were specialists in catch wrestling and guys that were specialists in judo. And, and I remember watching, watching and, and hearing your name over and over again. I'm like, who is this guy? I don't even know who this guy is, but I love the breakdowns and everything. The, uh, those ADCC matches, uh, I love those breakdowns. And I noticed even on your YouTube page, you're not doing breakdowns, but you still regularly post classic ADCC matches. Yeah, I be honest with you, I've been getting a lot busier these days uh, with personal life and business and work. So I don't do as much breakdowns as I used to for my own social or for flow. But I still have a lot of uh, old uh, matches that uh, I release on my YouTube channel pretty frequently for some of the OGs out there that's still into that stuff like yourself. Cool. So why don't you just explain to the people who you are? Just a a brief rundown. Sure. So my name is Ricardo Amadolia. Um, I got this silly nickname, Balea, which means whale. That's a whole other story. Uh, I'm a black belt under uh, Rafael Guilherme Mendez. The Mendez brothers, also PJ O'Sullivan. I teach Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at PJ's uh, Jiu-Jitsu program at Global Martial Arts in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Uh, Our kind of program is called Pura Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I've been training jiu-jitsu since like 98, um, predominantly here in Ontario, Canada. Traveled a lot to Brazil um, over the years in the U.S., training with you know some of the, the best guys at that time. I uh, kind of ended my competition career around like 2004 and got into kind of like more of the business aspect and promotional aspect of, of the sport. And then um, in around 2015, uh, I started work with uh, Flow Grappling, and I've been kind of working there ever since. Um, between that, I you know I commentated a lot of jujitsu for uh, events like Grapplers Quest, Copa Podio, um, and then through Flow was able to commentate uh, events like the ADCC, Abu Dhabi World Pro, Grand Slam, and then now our uh, our own event called Who's Number One. So. A uh, little bit of I wear many different hats in the jiu-jitsu world and I do many different things. Cool. How how did you get started in jiu-jitsu? So my father uh, used to teach karate um, at the University of McMaster University, and growing up, I was you know looking at my dad as like you know this guy that I kind of strive to to impress or be like, right? And you know look at I would see old pictures of my dad you know, as a black belt and, you know, fighting in tournaments and stuff like that. So martial arts is always, for whatever reason, uh, it was always kind of in my head. It's something that I wanted to do. 
maybe subconsciously to impress my father. My brothers didn't really, they did martial arts, like they did karate when they were younger, but they didn't really get into it as much as I did. So I originally kind of, you know, did karate. I, you know, discovered Bruce Lee in my, you know, early teens. And I was like, oh man, I want to do Jeet Kune Do. There was no JKD academies in the city. But, uh, you know, I was just training nonetheless. And then uh, around like 97, our program, a karate program, or the place I was training at karate, Jocelyn's Martial Arts, they introduced a grappling program. And uh, that's kind of where it, it kicked off. I was just, you know, I was like, whoa, shit. You know, I saw UFC and, you know, I, I, I knew Hoist Gracie and Ken Shamrock at the time. So I uh, just started training there, you know, a couple of days a week. And then that's kind of where it all began. Cool. Uh, did you, so you said that you uh, trained at Jocelyn's MMA. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. From so ninety six till about two thousand eight. Yeah. So is that? Am I mistaken? Is that where Kieran Kachuk trains or trained? No, Kieran is. I think he's he's from Toronto. I, I he was originally, if I'm not mistaken, he was at Fernando Zulik's academy, which is called uh, Action Reaction. Or gringo jujitsu action reaction. Yeah. yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. What about? Uh, have you heard of this guy? I think he's an Egyptian dude named Amr. Amr Go- yes. Go- Gorim. Is that his last name? I, I I apologize. I forget his last name. I think I know who you're talking about. He is from Jocelyn's. Very tough guy. Yeah. Um, very strong. Really technical. And he's been kind of uh, tearing up the scene here locally and doing some, you know, making some waves internationally as well. Yeah, that's why that name Jocelyn MMA sort of uh, rang a bell. How, how did you know that you really wanted to be in commentary? Because you said you had mentioned after you'd started training, you know, you you competed for a couple of years, but then you kind of shifted to more of the the business side of jujitsu, or you explored an avenue of jujitsu that's pretty rare for most people, which is commentating, doing shows, traveling, uh, and and kind of doing other things through jujitsu. Like, how did you know that was that was kind of what you wanted to do? To be honest, uh, I didn't really know. Uh, what happened was, um, you know, after I stopped competing, I, I wanted to get into promotion. So I used to run my own event called the Ontario Submission Wrestling Invitational. And uh, actually, uh, GSP, George St. Pierre, fought in the third one. He won. We had like an eight-man bracket, and he won. Uh, after that, he got invited to ADCC in 2005. So it was pretty cool. And then we've had a bunch of other matches like Jeff Jaws and Fabio Holanda. Uh, guys like that, local favorites, uh, competed on. But anyways, uh, I, you know, just started, I was working with promoters and, you know, promoting events myself a lot. And uh, I became friends with Fabio Landa, who, you know, BTT Canada guy. And he told me, hey, I'm going to start doing the Abu Dhabi World Pro Trials in Montreal. Do you want to help? So I, you know, helped him out with that event. We did the first one in Montreal. It was an awesome event. And uh, eventually he went to Abu Dhabi. And when he came back, he was like, hey, the people in Abu Dhabi, um, they have the finals. Like they produced it like a television program. And they have the footage. They want to put this on television like all over the world because they made such a huge investment. Can you help me get this on TV in Canada? So uh, I had some friends at the Fight Network. And uh, I was like, hey, like, you know, gave them the footage. I said, it's a, it's a fully produced show it's about an hour you know two hours long and they were like yeah let's let's put it on you know and they had big names like marcelo and cobrina hafa mendez at the time and uh they were they were like yeah let's do it but then they were like well we don't we don't have any like jujitsu experts at fight network you know would you be willing to come and commentate with john ramdeen and that's kind of how it started you know i i went there i was like yeah let's do it so i went there i commentated uh that show or that that uh that program aired uh, a few months later. And then I was like, oh man, like I really enjoyed this. Is there anything else I could do for you? And then they started bringing me in a little bit more like to be like an analyst on talking about like if there was like a big jujitsu match or event uh, or if there was like jujitsu guys fighting in the UFC, they, they, you know, wanted to hear what I'd say about that. And then, uh, you know, I was able to hook up with ADCC and get them footage and rights to the best of ADCC show. So I started commentating that and then just kind of snowballed. You know, I just kept grinding. Like, I honestly never envisioned myself as being a commentator. I just kind of, like, fell into it. And then once it started rolling, um, 
I was able to learn a lot from John Ramdean, who was like an MMA commentator. And I just mm-hmm. sort of evolved to, to where I am now. Yeah, it's funny. I forgot his name because I've actually met John Ramdean before at an MMA show uh, multiple times uh, out in Lethbridge with one of my students who uh, who does MMA. And I, I remember running into him and I was like, John Ramdean, where have I heard that name before? And and he's like, I don't know. I've done some work on the Fight Network. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. Like, you did you call old ADCC shows? Just like, I don't know. It was kind of like just hearing that over and over hearing his name and hearing you introduce yourself at the beginning of the show kind of it's like that's where I've heard that name before but I don't know he might be kind of pissed I forgot his name here um so you you're a black belt under the Mendez bros then yes yeah I'm actually is, is, first yeah I was just gonna say that I read that you're the first black belt under the Mendez bros that's pretty cool so did, was that like a long distance relationship or were you in their gym living in California training with them so what happened was um I got my blue, purple, and brown uh, from Romero Jacare from Alliance Jiu-Jitsu. Um, in around 2006, I got my brown, and I was training at, you know, I would go to Atlanta to, and Brazil to train with the Alliance team and then come back here and train in Canada with Jawsons. Uh, around 2008, my friend P.J. O'Sullivan uh, opened up Pura Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I went there because Jawsons at the time was focusing more on mixed martial arts over jujitsu. And I just wanted to do jujitsu. So I went to PJ's gym. Um, and that same year, I uh, had an opportunity to bring Andre Galvão to Canada to do some seminars. And, you know, when I brought him, he was telling us about the Mendez brothers. This was like right before everyone was like crazy about them. And he was like, man, you guys should bring, you know, Hoffa and Guy up to the academy one day. And, uh, we, so we did that, you know, we brought them and then about a year later, they were like, they asked us to be, you know, their first affiliate Academy. And then we would have them to Canada, maybe like two weeks, uh, a couple times a year. And then we started bringing Hoffa or Guy and then their, their students, et cetera. And, you know, I would go there and train periodically when I could. Um, but there was always like a connection and we were like specifically following their curriculum for a while. Like they would literally like, map out everything they wanted us to do in terms of positions, drilling, et cetera. Um, and then in 2012, I was at uh, an AOJ, like it was shortly after they opened their academy and maybe a year or so after uh, I was there and then they awarded me my black belt, which was in fact their first one. Very cool. So you said that as coaches, they had a very structured um curriculum or the 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 plan the lesson plan was pretty pretty well structured yeah yeah they it was specific like positionals um drilling that we just i mean to tell you the truth we just never knew the importance of drilling and never drilled the way they did you know and they just their their depth of knowledge you know what they showed us was just mind-blowing and a lot of it wasn't like at that time, what for me wasn't what was most impressive wasn't the crazy, you know, Baron Bolo, Lapel, 50-50. It was just their depth of knowledge of just like overall in jujitsu, you know. And, um, you know, from that training and that conversion, they would just lay out for us like they would do like a seminar almost, right? And they would give us like two days of like, let's say, uh, 45 techniques. And then they would say, okay, you guys work on this. And then these are the drills and these are the positions you're going to work on for the next three months. We'll come back or we'll send one of our students to upgrade you and then show you like the next set. And then basically after about a year or two, we were all speaking the same language at our academy, their academy. We all knew what drills, what positions like, you know, they would, you know, name techniques that were new to the, you know, people outside of the academy, but we were all super familiar with it. So it was unlike anything I'd, I'd ever experienced before. I think, um, I think that the Mendez brothers played a really important aspect in professionalizing jujitsu in many different ways. They changed the aesthetic look of jujitsu academies from what it used to be, which was more like a fight club, like dirty, grimy, you know, all oh, like those are the jujitsu guys in the corner, you know, don't go near them. They all have ringworm kind of thing to like beautiful aesthetic artsy, um, you know, all everyone with the uniform, et cetera. So They've and then and then the technical knowledge, you know, the way they've they've really uh, did their classes, you know, the emphasis on drilling, positional drilling, 
Um, a lot of the modern jujitsu concepts, you know, they just, they just change, in my opinion, they change the game. They change the sport in, in so many different ways. You're absolutely right. I remember, I think I was a purple belt and they were already pretty established legends. I was kind of late to the game in jujitsu. I started when I was 20 and they were the guys that I, I remember really watching. I really studied Marcelo. I watched them, uh, Cobrinha and Meow, Meow Brothers, which yeah. were, you know, a style that was in a lot of ways derived, I think, from the Mendez bros. You know, th- this Barambolo upside down style. I used to I used to play that a lot when they when they were teaching, you know, to you guys and giving you that curriculum. How dominant was things like Barambolos and crab rides or was it more like traditional jujitsu? It wasn't. It was probably somewhere in the middle, to be honest with you. Um, the biggest development for me was De La Hiva. Uh, up until training with them. Delahiva to me was like two techniques and we spent days just understanding um, the whole idea of how to play Delahiva correctly and then layered on the techniques on top of that. Um, the Barambolo and all the other stuff um, that kind of came after we asked them about that, but that wasn't like, you know, okay guys, like first lesson, here we go. Barambolo, you know, to be honest, when we first started training with them, 50-50 was like the biggest development in the sport. And uh, they didn't really, you know, they they showed us how to get there and they showed us like, here's how you do it. Here's how you get there. Here's what to be careful of. But they didn't spend a ton of time in that position. It was really more about Delahiva, reverse Delahiva, back takes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um. And I guess like Barambolos and Kiss of the Dragon kind of naturally just manifested when when you're playing with these open guards like Delahiva guards so much. Mm. What was the, uh, you had mentioned drilling? What was the Mendez brothers sort of approach to drilling? Um, drills, but fast. You know, it was uh, the I remember him saying that a lot, and it's like if you drill slow, you're going to perform slow. You know, if you if you drill laxadaisy, that's how you're going to pull the technique off in the match and that's when your opponent's going to counter and you know win so the drill was like really high intensity specific drills you know from leg drags back takes um, mostly stuff like uh, transitional movements with with tons of speed and accuracy and then you know a lot of emphasis on just like you know go as hard as you can fast as you can make every rep better than your last rep try to be precise in every single thing you do Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure you've heard this buzz of the ecological approach uh, through jujitsu. Have you? Does this ring bells? There's a guy named Greg Souders who's a coach, and he talks about uh, this ecological training. He basically says drilling is like useless. Yeah, I, I mean, useless for him, right? I think uh, for some people they need it. For some people they don't. Uh, I know, like uh, Marcelo Garcia, for example, wasn't really super big into drilling. Right. He did drill, mm-hmm. but he wasn't, I don't think he did it as uh, consistently as the Mendez brothers. I just think like, I personally believe that different methodologies work for different people. Right. Like for me, myself, mm-hmm. like, I really needed to drill the shit out of Delahiva to understand that position because I was totally lost uh, playing it because I had no idea the value of it. I didn't understand, you know, what I needed to do there. And by drilling it a lot, that's how I kind of developed it. And I could teach it to my students fairly easily now. Um, I don't think if I drilled it, I, I would be able to do that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't understand. I wouldn't have that touch and feel sense of the importance of the position as I do now. So I think it's just. I think it's just relative to to you know where you're at and the, the environment you're in, and you know your attitudes towards training. I think it's just different. Different, like they say, different strokes for different folks. But I think everyone in you know jujitsu. I'm not trying to, I don't know this guy, I apologize, but like, I'm not trying to say this is his thing, but like a lot of different people that like, they like to kind of like sell methodologies, which is fine. You know, it's great, but I don't think there's one that works for everyone other than, you know, consistency, right? Everyone's got a different viewpoint and different aspect and different philosophy on training. I just think like it's up to us as people that learn to try to experiment with it all and figure out what's what works best for us. I totally agree. And even you mentioned Marcelo this is a guy who said he never 
lifted weights, right? He just just did jujitsu. When when you like the, with the Mendez brothers, uh, their drilling approach, did Uke offer resistance or like were they just kind of just there? Sometimes, yeah. A lot of times it was like just, various degrees. Yeah, like sometimes it was like, uh, um, okay, like you know, just for example, like leg drag, and then then the second drill would be like leg drag. The person throws the leg over. You're gonna do this, right? And then it was. Leg drag, the person pulls over, then he spins, and you're going to go to the back with overrun. Like it was a lot more specified resistance, not necessarily like um, do this movement and then you know live rolling from that position or or try to resist the position. There was some positions that we did that were like that, but a lot more of it was like just you know technique, you know rep- repetitions, reps, reps, reps. What do you think makes the Mendez brothers so so successful as coaches and businessmen, I guess? So the business aspect uh, and coaches aspect, I just think that uh, they had really good mentors, right? I think that uh, they had, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but they spent a lot of time with Leonardo Santos. And Leo Santos was one of the greatest lightweight competitors of all time from Team Novo and Yao, um, a guy that could do, you know, all aspects of the game, of, of jiu-jitsu. Um, their other coach was Ramon Lemos, and Ramon was an amazing, amazing coach. And, um, you know, I, I've had the luxury of just, like, sitting in and listening to him coach students. And, you know, when you see the depth of knowledge that he has going beyond, like, doing this and this, but, like, just that background, you see the reflection of mm-hmm. Ramon in their um, depth of knowledge in the Mendez brothers. So they had really good modern jiu-jitsu techniques from Leo Santos at that time, but then like this, like really uh, strategic knowledge that came from Ramon Lemus. So talking to their jujitsu, that's where I think that that came from. And then, you know, emulsifying themselves with a group of people at Atos, like uh, Andre, you know, Gilbert Burns, uh, Bruno Frazato, and, you know, some of the keys to their success that they told us was just the post training session, uh, Q and A. So they would finish like super hard training sessions and then say, okay, like, um, for example, uh, Gilbert Burns used to fight Mike Lange a lot. Right. And they would say, man, Gilbert, you get stuck in this position. Why don't you try doing this? Right. And then they would, oh, okay. Then they would experiment with it. That was 50 50. And then that's how he started beating Lange. And then that's how their rivalry started. And then from that, Langi's, you know, and Alliance guys started making counters to 50-50. And then that's how the position sort of evolved. But they were always on the cutting edge and they were always at the forefront of those techniques. So it was um, good mentors, but also good open-minded group training sessions with the Atos uh, people in the room that they would always learn every class. Like they didn't just like learn the techniques, drill, and then spar. The 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 learning continued even at the completion of class. And I think that that was that obsession with them learning that kind of brought them to the next level. In terms of the business, um, they had some really good mentorship uh, with like guys like Pat Tenori, you know, the owner of Ruka. Um, I, you know, he really kind of led them, um, you know, gave them some some insight into, you know, branding and, and professionalism in their business. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're interesting cats, man. They do a lot of research, you know, they're, they're always studying, you know, they, they're up, they're up when they get into something, they become obsessive with whatever it is they're getting into. So whether it's business or tech or techniques, you know, they try to figure it all out. So what do you think makes certain competitors just consistently successful? Like what, what makes, why do we see the same athletes, always on the podium or winning their divisions, winning their super fights. What are, what, what makes uh, successful athletes? I think, um, you know, having a good structure, um, having a good support system, having a good team, having good leadership. You know, I think we, we haven't really seen the Ronin be a super successful competitor, right? Like, no, like what I mean by Ronin is like the, the masterless, you know, athlete, right? Like, so it's super important to have good leadership, good training partners, uh, open mind. And when you see the top competitors, you, you can see that they all come from gyms that 
have that sort of stru- structure and support system, you know, whether it's um, guys at Pedigo with, you know, guys like Heath to, uh, you know, Andre Galvao or John Danaher, you know, you have guys that have been around the game, constantly study, provide good training atmospheres for their students, um, you know, have a room full of killers. Um, but yeah, they're just, you know, dedicated, disciplined, you know, the game's changing. It's so much, it's so much more professional than ever. And uh, I think that the athletes that, you know, appreciate that and respect their training almost like a NBA athlete, you know, like super professional are the ones that are succeeding. You know, I, I even Hodger Gracie 10 years ago said, you know, the guys have had the days of having good, only good jujitsu are, are over. You know, you, you have to be that super athlete. You have to be the athlete um, that's training, you know, physical conditioning and jujitsu two or three times a day, et cetera. And, you know, that's another thing that the Mendez brothers did too, is their, their physical training, um, their drilling that they did, just to kind of develop their physicality was something that really, you know, we didn't understand at the time, you know, they were training two, three jujitsu sessions and doing a physical training session, not necessarily weightlifting, but like a lot of drills to develop their kind of um, combative athleticism. I think you're absolutely right in saying that jujitsu fighters have become, excuse me, more pro pro athletes, right? Like they've been supplementing their training now, with uh, cross training, d- combining other grappling arts. Like recently we've seen a lot of um, addition of wrestling as uh, very seriously to uh, Nogi grappling. And that's probably out of the necessity to be prepared for a rule set like ADCC. I think ADCC is pushing the sport in a direction right now that is uh, definitely more, it's definitely more mainstream and, it's, people are just getting so much more serious about ju- uh, about jujitsu if they're competitive and then add to the fact that now we have this explosion of um, information, you know, back in the days of the Mendez bros, there wasn't a lot of online content out there that you could watch. There wasn't, you know, um, I, I guess one of the first ones would have probably been uh, like Marcelo Garcia in action. He was yeah. one of like the first online subscriptions, but there wasn't any, you know, John Danaher enter the system or Gordon Ryan um, instructionals. You just you needed, like you said, a mentor who who was very well knowledge. And that was kind of how you were able to gain that knowledge. Nowadays, you could go on BJJ Fanatics and you could have access to the uh, at least from a theoretical standpoint, you could have access to the information. You know, you would still need to implement it and have a good environment to uh, to train it. But you could have access to that information. Yeah. And now that we've seen jujitsu become what it is, especially over the last couple of ADCC events, I want to ask, you know, the the old cliche is that the gi is falling off. I even have students telling me um, they they literally want me to abolish the gi program from my gym. And I'm just like, man, like I, I I enjoy the gi. I have guys that really enjoy the gi. Um, what do you think the gi needs to do to kind of not fall by the wayside and, you know, be pushed further ahead into the mainstream as we see in ADCC right now? So when you ask that question, do you mean um, what does the gi need to do in a professional aspect? Because well, it's kind of, I guess I'm asking what IBJJF needs to do or what needs to happen in gi grappling for it to be able to compete from a spectator standpoint with ADCC. Yeah, I think that they're, you know, if it's a professional atmosphere, um, I think that, you know, events like BGJ Stars have made some rule modifications to keep the matches exciting. And I think that there's, I mean, I have my own take on this, like, you know, and I'm not saying this is what people should do, but this is my opinion. I think that in order for gi matches, professional gi matches to be exciting, uh, if it's a bracket, it needs to be shorter limits. I think there should be no advantages. I think that there should be some changes with lapel 50-50 positions, my personal opinion. However, you brought up the point about your academy. Um, the thing is, the majority of academies around the world train in the gi. So there's there are two separate things, right? Like gi training in the academy, like nothing changes there. It's amazing, right? And it's for the person. Anyone can do it. 
Um, as far as gi as a spectator sport, it's a different subject. And that's where I think some rule changes need to be made. The IBJJF has implemented some rule changes for their GPs. Um, and the IBJJF, like they, they listen to feedback and they make small changes when it's, when it's necessary. And they've been doing a good job of that. I think over year over year, um, they're receptive to what the community is saying. And, you know, now, like, you look at the Nogi, they allow heel hooks. They change the rule about the direction of the ankle lock now. It doesn't have to be mm-hmm. on one side. So they understand, and, they you know, they, every year they always make a couple uh, evolutions. Uh, I, I just think that the, the challenge we have is this in, in terms of a spectator sport. Uh, up until 2015, um, ADCC – has always been this like historic event, but the buzz wasn't there. In 2017, we uh, streamed it on Flow, so we definitely generated a lot more buzz. But we can't deny the Gordon Ryan effect, and Gi Jiu Jitsu doesn't have a athlete like that right now. Um, they have. I guess that- Miragali is probably the closest. Miragali right? is the closest. You're right. You're right, but. Um, I think Marigali is still coming into his own as a brand and as a as a personality, um, trying to transcend outside. Like, for example, like if you look at a guy like Craig Jones, um, Craig is hilarious, right? Like he's and right now he's taking this like influencer approach over competitor, and it, it's totally yeah. But like what he's doing, he's transcending. You know, he was on he was on like the Jackson podcast, which is kind of like a more like MMA. He's doing a lot more MMA stuff. So I think like the gi needs people like that to kind of like transcend outside of just like gi media and jujitsu media. So that's a bit of a challenge, right? And uh, Nicholas is doing a great job. He's the best. Um, but I, yeah, he's still kind of coming into his own in that regard. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, the IBJJF, you know, we, we with Flow created this new event called The Crown. Uh, I believe that that event's going to, you know, in a few years is going to just kind of continue to raise the platform of Gi Jiu-Jitsu. Um, and, yeah, you know, it's just more media out there, the better. It's No one really has, like, the one answer solution. Everyone's got their own opinion. I think it's kind of a mishmash of, of all these positive things that will – help kind of um, get the geese where it needs to be. But, you know, it's it's funny because everyone's got opinion on this. And they're like, oh, back in the day, you know, the, the matches weren't as boring and this, this, and that. I'm like, hate to tell you, yeah, they were. Like, they, you know, even in the – like, even mm. some no-gi matches are boring. It's it's not the style. It's not the uniform. It's the competitors. You know, that's that's what it is. And when it comes to pro jiu-jitsu, it's, it's the matchmaking. You know, it's, it's how you put these guys together – um, understanding the styles to make good matches. Like are our last who's number one. Um, I'm not trying to, you know, to, you know, to my own horn here, but like I, I, my purpose was to try to make the most exciting matches I could. And I think we pulled that off. You know, the, the matches were all incredible great. event. Yeah. It was probably one of our, you know, top three. Some people said our best who's number one ever. And it's just understanding the styles, you know, understanding like, hey, this guy's a leg lock guy. If I get another leg lock guy, that's exciting to the leg lock guys, you know. But if I get a guy that's really good at wrestling, this guy sucks, but he kind of will try to engage. This guy's got this high flight. Like you got to It's like it's like video game, you know, uh, strengths and weaknesses. You know, you got to kind of evaluate each competitor's strengths and weakness and see how they match up to make the, the best matches possible, in my opinion. In terms of um, making Gi even more spectator friendly, like like I, I think that, you know, if you were to have your buddies over and you're like, hey, we're going to watch an event, it's it's ADCC, it's the world championships, it's like this is like Super Bowl for me, basically, and your friends don't really know, maybe they know like watching a little bit of MMA, but they're not really jujitsu guys, they don't train. They could watch that and be like, hey, this for the most part, I'm enjoying this. This is this is uh, exciting. It's quick. You know, I'm getting into it. But if I were to bring my friends over and be like, hey, we're going to watch the worlds in the gi, they'd, a lot of them would probably be like, hey, I can't really like appreciate the intricacies of this yeah. because it is, I guess, aesthetically, it's more static and it's more um, 
it's harder for for I would say a fair weather spectator to follow. Yeah, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So you had mentioned that you know the the gi could make a couple of rule diff, rule changes that might make it more spectator friendly. And I I've talked about this before. I think a big one would be um, you know d- removing advantages or at least rewarding. Um, rewarding engagements the way that ADCC does because engage uh, ADCC really rewards initiations whereas IBJJF is more win at all costs you know you could get an advantage and try and just shut the other person down type game what I'm I'm curious as to know from your standpoint what kind of rule changes could uh, enhance the gi for the spectator so the the double-edged sword here with ADCC is this um the takedowns, right? Um, if you pull guard in ADCC, you get a negative. If you pull guard in, in, you know, let's say IBJJF, there's no negative. So what do you end up seeing? Two guys pulling guard a lot of times. You don't really see that in ADCC. But I think that, um, in, in you know, again, this is not a knock over one or the other. You're allowed to do it. So you can't blame the athletes for playing the system, right? So I do think that um, if there was a negative for pulling guard, that could be one aspect to, to kind of bring back the, you know, the takedown or judo or wrestling into the matches. I'm not saying it's non-existent, but I'm just saying that personally, the the most terrible thing I could see is when two people just sit. You know, I, I just – it just – it's really – and like you said, especially if you're showing somebody – um, you know, that's new to the sport, that's really not going to make them want to do it unless it, it'll, well, it won't make them excited unless they do it right now as jujitsu mm. practitioners, we see it and we appreciate it. And we'll say, wow, I understand what this guy's doing. Oh shit. He just, he's, they both sat, but this guy did a crab ride and ended up in the leg drag and got top position, took his back. So we appreciate that. Um, so I think like the, 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 that, that first aspect of like getting from, you know, from top to bottom, getting the people down, I think that that's something that could change, right? I'm not saying it has to or needs to, um, you know, but I think that that's definitely something, you know, I mean, the other aspect of that is what we don't want to see is a match where two people are just standing and doing nothing either because we did see that at at some matches in the gi and that's horrible too. So there would have to be stiffer penalties on there. I don't know the rules of judo. Excuse me. I don't know the rules of wrestling, so I don't know what, what gi jiu-jitsu can take from that to force action. Um, and I don't think it's a, it's a great idea to try to make jiu-jitsu something that is not and mishmash too many things. Otherwise, we're going to end up with, you know, like a hybrid style. I don't know. But there are certain points. Uh, I really like the, um, the Royal Invitational had a rule where you couldn't pull guard for the first minute. So that forced, you know, that forced people – that if they were comfortable doing takedowns, forced them to try at least, right? And you know, and it, or at least, or it made them count down sixty seconds and then pull at that fifty-nine second mark, you know. So again, it's 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 uh it's little things, you know. I think it's the takedowns because the matches start standing. Like for me, I I personally believe that you know, two guys fighting in a gi and somebody does a beautiful judo throw. Um, I think that people appreciate seeing that much more than they would. Uh, a guard pull into a sweep, right? Now, you pull a guard and you sweep or you get a submission, that's awesome too, right? But to the non-practitioner is what I'm saying. They won't understand like what the heck happened there, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you get, you, you get like you had mentioned, we can't punish the athletes for playing within the rules. It's kind of like that, uh, that Aljamain Sterling match when Buddy pulled guard on him and he was all pissed off because he wanted him to stand so he could take him down. And it's like, but these are the rules, right? Like this is, you understand the rules, you agree to them and any intelligent competitor is going to play every single advantage they can uh, to win under said rule set. Yeah. Um, one, what do you think should change? You mentioned 50-50 and lapel guards and things like that. I'm curious to know what you think could or should be changed because I've considered changes in those positions as well, lapel guards and 50-50, but it's hard for me to hammer down a rule that could 
uh, I guess, um, be universal and could be effective? Like, yeah. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. So um, I apologize if I don't know the rule specifically right now, but if I'm not mistaken, if it's 50-50 and we sweep each other, we're both getting points. So I believe so. I think one of the things that Sean G. Ribeiro suggested was if I'm in, you're in my 50 50 and I sweep you, right? I don't get points until my leg is cleared. Until you get out of 50 50? Exactly. Right? Yeah, so, I, I don't mind that rule. Yeah, like something like that, right? Um, something like that that forces them to not stay in the position, but also doesn't reward them for being in this stagnant position as well. I like that. Hey, is that going to be the the solution here? I don't know, right? Uh, I think the IBJJF made some rule changes for their pro events in terms of lapel 50-50. Like there's like a, a specific time frame now that you can do it. But again, people are going to play a system. They're going to do it, let go, do this, and then go back to it, right? And then let go. And then do, you know, so, you know, it's, it's really – Unless you ban it altogether, which I don't see happening, um, it, it's a tough one. But I think at the end of the day, like, everything goes in cycles. Everything goes in trends, you know. Like, I remember in 2000, right, everyone was like, like, half guard, which is, like, the most common thing, you know, was, like, the new shit. Because no one knew half guard sweeps if you weren't in Brazil. And, like, you know, I remember, like, Scotty from On The Mad OTM was, like, posting. He's like... Hey, gringos, if you guys come to Brazil and you don't have half guards, you're, you're going to get screwed. You're going to get swept once and then stalled and then you're going to lose, right? And then it was X guard, right? So, like, it, it, it kind of just, like, there's always a trend. And I think that, like, lapel 50-50 eventually will just, like, go away, you know, and people will invent some other position that they can um, exploit or, you know, really, really, you know, use to their to their benefit a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think that they should adopt heel hooks in the gi? Yeah, it's a it's a touchy subject. I think that not universally. I do think that I'd like to see a pro event with heel hooks in the gi. Now I've talked to a lot of black belts. Some love it, some hate it, um, and obviously the ones that hate it, it's probably more specific to their style. So, like, why they hate it. Like, if they're, like, you know, lasso and different stuff like that. Um, but I do want to see it tested. I don't think it should be – I'm all about scale. Like, I don't think anything should be, like, you know, uh, a dictatorship where it's, like, hey, this is the new rule across the board. I think I think we should see some events. And, um, you know, the biggest fear is with the gi, if you do a hill hook, they can't escape and they're going to blow their knee. Well, it's – Let's see what happens. Like, you know, let, let's see if it happens, right? If it doesn't, then we do it more. And then maybe, you know, that's that's how it goes. But, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see it happen. I've spoken on the podcast before uh, with a few guests about heel hooks in the gi. And that is the myth that you will blow your knee out or whatever. First of all, you can just tap, yeah. right? Second, second of all, I think it would actually have a reverse effect if we allow heel hooks in the gi because – the the cliche is that oh because of the friction you won't be able to unstuck your leg etc but another on the other side of that coin as a defensive athlete you could just latch onto their collars and prevent them from extension and therefore you add heel hooks in the gi i think you might even see more just latching on and um not a lot of action from there where i think that heel hooks in the gi could be beneficial is it now adds the threat of submission as well as a sweep. So with the way that the rules are right now, that you know, you can ankle lock someone from 50-50, but it's really rare. You you know, you see you used to see like videos of guys trying to go belly down on an ankle lock in 50-50 and like nothing's really happening. The other guy's face isn't even changing. They're just trying to basically get an advantage. There's no there's no real high percentage ankle lock from there uh on most days. But once you add heel hooks, from a spectator point of view, it could be more exciting because there's now another avenue to win from the position. It's not always just going to be a battle of who can stand up, which is what it currently is generally in the gi. But now you have to be careful how you stand up because if the person spins underneath and you're not careful, now there's a threat of uh, there's that dilemma 
of a submission as well as the sweep. And I think the position could become more um, dynamic and it could become just more of an open-ended position uh, with with a rule change from 50-50. Yeah. Um, what do you, how do you feel about ADCC doing like gi divisions? Like imagine ADCC world championships gi, same rule set, but now they're wearing gi jackets. I think it'd be cool. I think, uh, I think the rules are, um, you know, like you said, with, you know, they have heel hooks. It would be interesting to see how that plays out with the gi. Um, but I do think that they've kind of carved out the nogi uh, market, and you know they're they're you know they're dominating in terms of like the pro events. Um, so I think that it might be tough for them. You know, the other thing too to consider is is um, every time there's an action, there's a you know equal and opposite reaction. So if there's going to be hooks in the key, we know that there's going to be people that are going to be you know, figuring out different things to stall the position or work around it. It could actually make things uglier. Like to That's us, what I was saying. Yeah, to us, it's interesting, right? And that's why I said I want to see it play out first. But it the 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 concern is is that it could make things uglier. It could make things pe- like it could just make people battle for nine minutes on this on the side of their body on the floor. And that's what that would be terrible to watch. So Maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe like all matches will end up in a quick submission with the hook. I don't know. I, I think we have to see the proof in the pudding first and see the numbers. And but um, yeah, and again, like it's it's there's this constant conversation. What's interesting to us? What's exciting and entertaining to us isn't always exciting to the masses, right? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it'll be interesting. It could have a negative effect. Maybe it'll be a positive one. Maybe it's the solution for everything. Maybe it's not. But uh, I, I'd like to see it happen for sure. I think what really makes ADCC more, well, I'm not going to argue it's more exciting than IBJJF. Personally, I would rather, I get more excited about ADCC Worlds than IBJJF Worlds. I think a lot of jiu-jitsu guys do. I think the reason why I find the matches more exciting, a big reason is because of the lack of advantages. Like you can't just, you can't just get an advantage and now you're up on your opponent and you're now kind of, just playing against playing them against the clock as well. I mean, that happens in ADCC, but it's not as easy to do. It's not as easy to get a score. And because you can't get that immediate score, you're now still even with your opponent. So you still have to go out and fight your opponent. And then of course, ADCC has more of a, um, it, it rewards initiations, which I find, uh, is, is more exciting from a spectator point of view. Um, I want to ask you, what do you think about, uh, jiu-jitsu in the Olympics, because people have been asking this, you know, ever since I started. It's a it's a question where personally, I don't think um, I have mixed feelings about it, but I'm not like gunning for the Olympic uh, the Olympics to have jiu-jitsu, even though it seems appropriate because it's a very uh, effective martial art. It's a very popular martial art right now. Do you think that that will ever happen? And do you think that that would be good for jiu-jitsu? Um. I think it would be. I think anything in the Olympics is, is good for. Um, it's good for the sport, but there's also negative consequences to it, right? Um, the last thing. So, like, let's look at this, right? There's there's three international federations for jujitsu. There's the IBJJF. There's the um, like the UAE, um, you know, or AJP, and then there's like the SJJIF, right? Those are like the three most like largest international Brazilian jiu-jitsu federations. Um, Who's going to be the one to do it? I don't know. I know that the latter two are actually pursuing this, but they are doing it closer to the jiu-jitsu, like the J-U-jitsu rule set. So it's not really Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So my point is, is like, what is that? Japanese jiu-jitsu? Yeah, yeah. Like it's like the like they have to include the Japanese Nawaza portion. And it's like Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but they can't call it Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's kind of weird. So I don't know. Like I I don't personally, I think at the end of the day, the Olympics are gonna say it's too close to judo and it's too it's similar to wrestling. I I think that they might 
there might be more of a chance of no gi grappling being added through like UWW or something like that. I could see that, which those, those uh, UWW events, or I think it's UWW, but there's some like grappling in like uh, Europe, like in Russia and like Kazakhstan. They're huge, man. Those tournaments are massive. It's just not, it hasn't really caught on in the United States because the IBJJF is, you know, obviously so dominant here. But um, I just I don't believe it'll happen. I do think it'll be good because it'll give more exposure to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and get more people understanding what it is. But at the same time, the the question will be is who's going to lead the way? Who's going to be in charge? And that's where I think it's a bit of a gray area still. If Nogi grappling went into the Olympics, what do you think would be the ideal rule set, or what would the ideal rule set? Um, imitate most? So I actually think that um, before UWW existed, there was FILA grappling. And at one point they were trying to work out a deal with ADCC. And uh, I think that they were going to try to do like an ADCC rule set to try to get an Olympic grappling division, but it didn't end up working out. Um, I think that, man, like I'll be honest, like I think that something like the IBJJF or ADCC rule set Nogi, uh, either or, you know, will, will work. Um, IBJJF is, uh, you know, like they have a much, much larger infrastructure worldwide. So I think that they have a, a bigger support system. So I could see that support system possibly, um, you know, being put towards an Olympic initiative. And uh, if even if it's Nogi. So, yeah. Do you how do you feel about PEDs in jiu-jitsu? Good for jiu-jitsu, bad for jiu-jitsu, should it be allowed? Should it not be allowed? And keep in mind, I think we can all agree that like um cuz a lot of people say like well the kids are looking up to the athletes and the kids uh you know feel that they need to do that or whatever. Let's I think we can all kind of agree that like giving steroids to kids probably isn't good, yeah. but like how do you feel about um, just performance enhancing drugs, like for professional athletes in jujitsu. I mean, it's like any other sport, right? Uh, people are always going to do it. Um, and, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, giving kids PEDs is terrible. It, I don't think that, um, I, 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 I'm kind of fine with how it is right now. Like the IBGGF tests, I believe, uh, I think the UAE does some testing as well for world. I think, um, ADCC doesn't, but ADCC is more of a spectacle. So it's a little different. Um, they might end up doing testing. I don't know, but I don't, I think it's kind of cool the way it is now. You know, I think like we have, you know, Avenue for the IBJJF athletes, um, it's amateur and they get tested and for worlds and stuff like that. Um, and you know, the results come out, like they're catching people, a lot of people, you know, and some people are dodging them, right. They have plane sketch. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it is kind of working, but it does kind of suck when, you know, you don't have people on the podium and it scares people away like that. That's the negative side effect, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, it is what it is. Right. So I, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, like in, in, as a fan, it's like, yeah, I kind of want to see the yoked out, uh, Me too. <laughs> you know, um, uh, it makes them more, it, 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 you know, yeah. arguably allows them to reach a higher level, right? But Isn't that kind of what we want to? Yeah, but at the end of the day, like, even if they test it, right? Majority of guys are going to figure it out anyway, right? Like, they're going to, they're going to, like, the majority of guys know how to beat the system anyway. So it doesn't really change anything. I think there just maybe needs to be more promotion of, um, you know, not using PEDs um, to sort of continue with that messaging and, yeah, like I said, I think it's fine the way it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about uh, some matches. What's uh, what's your? Do you have an all-time favorite match? A match that stands out in your mind as uh, you know one of your favorites? Oh man, um, it's hard to it's hard to say. Like I, I think I have like personal favorites for different reasons. Um, like maybe like personal reasons or, or whatever. But like, I think uh, like I'm an old guy and uh, the 2004 um, world championships for me was probably like the greatest 
year I've seen, um, the two the two best matches I've seen in jiu-jitsu. And um, one was uh, Ronaldo Jacare against Hodger Gracie. And then the second one was um, just Fernando Tenere's run in that tournament. So for those, you know, for you young guys that don't remember, uh, what happened was Hodger and Jacare rivals fought a couple times and uh, they fought in the world's finals, the open weight finals. Hodger broke Jacare's arm. Uh, and I was there in Brazil. And I think that's what, like, I was at the arena. That's why it's kind of special to me. And uh, as he broke his arm, like his, you know, he hyperextended it. Jacare pulled his arm out and it's like limp and then like stuffed it in his belt and continued to fight with one hand and still won. And the crowd, like the energy, I've never experienced anything like that in my life. Um, and I don't think I ever will again because it's just something that was just insane. Like people were arguing. They were saying this is terrible for the sport. People were going crazy, celebrating Jacare. People were like, holy shit, he broke his arm. Get him to the doctor. You know, just all the motions were going wild. And actually when it happened, like everyone just kind of turned away. It was like, oh, God, you know. Um, so that's one thing. And then in the same tournament, Fernando Tedede at the time was only 170 pounds he entered the super heavyweight division and the absolute, and he got silver and bronze. Name another competitor that's done that at the world championships. No, mm -hmm. with that amount of energy too. So he, when he did that, he was, he was doing that specifically to fight Marcio Cruz, Petapano, who he had a little bit of a rivalry with. And uh, he, Petapano was originally supposed to fight in the world and then backed out. And uh, after, even though he lost, the entire stadium was like cheering for Tenere. Like it was, it was crazy. So those two matches, um, you know, those are two of the greatest moments I can I can recall. You know, personally. And then mm -hmm. right now, and I gotta say, like that's old school. Now I think, um, you know, exciting for me is you know anything that mika galvan does you know like this kid oh god i know this kid is who, um is amazing who can beat him i think um you think tynan has a chance to beat him i mean he looked good in the last match yeah with, i think tynan starts to develop his nogi um experience and game he's looking better like he's looking awesome and like every you know we've only seen two matches um I can't reveal too much, but his third match is going to be a very big test. But his the two matches that we did see with Tynan, we we're, we're just seeing him kind of like coming into his own with Nogi. Like the sec, the first match was like very specific, very Tynan Dalper esque. Like he had a specific game plan, he stuck to it. Everything was precision. Second one, he opened up a little bit, and the second match, he he got, you know, he wasn't able to score as easily. So. You know, he, it took a little time for him to kind of face adversity, Nogi. So I think he has a path to getting towards Mika, which will make it an interesting match. Um, you know, obviously a Cade Rotolo rematch with, with Mika would be insane. Um, you know, he has a win over Mika, so that would be interesting. But, man. Who do you think wins that? I don't know. I don't know. It's hard. Because if you watch if you watch their match at ADCC, it's not like Mika was dominating or anything. In fact, he was on he was kind of on on the he, on his heels. He he was stuck on the bottom and, you know, Cade was doing a lot of damage from the top position. Yeah, I think that it was I don't remember I feel like it was kind of like a little like like kind of like a stalemate, like not too much one side or the other. Then all of a sudden Cade went for the leg and uh Mika just didn't, you know, didn't respect that quick enough, right? Like he didn't engage, disengage quick enough and he got caught. Um, I don't know. That's a tough one. The only thing I can say is, is that uh, when I look at stats, Cade's only had a you know handful of matches since then. Mika's had like, I don't know, probably like 90, you know, whether it was IBJJF Opens or AB, AJP Tour, mm -hmm. who's number one. Um, he's had a lot of, you know, competitions and, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Like, we're going to hopefully see that happen at ADCC this year. So uh, I can't wait to see that. That's, in my opinion, one of the biggest matches of, of the year for sure. Do you think Miko wins 77 kilograms this year? Very possible. It's very possible. Who do, who do you think can beat Gordon Ryan? Man, I don't know. <laughs> right now, I think Gordon Ryan, you know, 
he's out, you know, he's out of commission right now. Like he's, he's not like from, I don't know, like I'm not chatting with him or anything, but like from what I can see externally, like it doesn't even look like he's training right now. I think his, his health is, is, is really bad. Um, if, if it's, uh, yeah, so it's hard to say, you know, like Gordon Ryan, prime Gordon Ryan, nobody, you know, like nobody can, mm-hmm. nobody's done it. Right. Like he, he's taken out, name a guy, he's taken him out, you know, you know, for everyone from, you know, Bouchesha to Galvão to Kainen, um, to Nicky Rod to like, he's beaten them all. You know, I, I don't know. It's, um, that's, that's a big mystery, you know, and we, and I feel like, you know, Pena has some wins over him. But, uh, you know, Gordon just kept getting better and better. And uh, a, pr- a prime Gordon Ryan is probably the scariest Nogi grappler in the world. So hard to say. Do you, Because of the way ADCC is structured, you know, there's no closeouts or anything. Let's say this year Miragali wins the absolute. Do you think that that's a fight that we're, we could see? Because they've said that they won't fight each other, but it might have to happen if it just lines up that way. First of all, do you think Mirigali can win the absolute division? And second of all, do you think that's a fight we see one day? I do think Mirigali can win. Um, I think that, like, one of the guys that to beat Mirigali, you have to play an ugly fight. You can't make an exciting fight. You can't go there and, like, expect to, like, um, take him down and finish him. When, we haven't seen that in Nogi. Um, the guy that beat Mirigali was Yuri. Right. And Yuri can make it into an ugly fight, but he knows how to win. So I do think that I personally think, you know, with Yuri out, um, the only like one of the biggest threats he has is, you know, obviously like Victor Hugo, Nicky Rod. But I do think that Nick, that Nicholas Marigali has all of the tools to win the Open this year at ADCC. Um, second question is, do I think that he'll fight Gordon? That remains to be seen. Um, uh, you know, Gordon has basically said he's retired from the sport outside of this ADCC, so we don't know. That's a question. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I'd love to see it. I think as a fan, um, you know, and, and as a somebody that has vested interest in ADCC and the you know the the success of our sport, yeah. Uh, I just don't know if it will happen. Before we go, I just want to ask you. Can you give us all time, it could be active or inactive, uh, like a dream matchup that you would like to see? And could you also give us a dream matchup of current active athletes? Okay, old school guys, uh, Hodger Hodolfo, one of those matches that we never saw um, that they just missed generations. Vieira? Hodolfo Vieira, yeah, yeah. So like Hodger, when Hodger left, right? you know, Bernardo took over, then Hodolfo took, like it was, you know, he, so they just, they just missed the generation. So that's one of the ones that I think I, I would, uh, I would, I would love, I would love to see one day, um, you know, from the old school stuff. I think uh, if I could mix up two guys, a prime Mark Kerr against the prime Nicky Rod would be cool to see, you know, two wrestlers that are like, you know, big dudes, you know, um, you know, Mark Kerr was starting to evolve in his grappling and jujitsu just as a ADCC dork, you know, trying to geek out here a little bit. Um, and then matches right now, I think, you know, obviously I think the biggest match that people are talking about is Mika and Tynan. I think that that's, that's one of the biggest right now. Um, I, I don't think that there's any, like, it's just one of those matches that has to happen, you know, and I, I you know myself and other promoters, we're all behind the scenes, you know, trying to make the stars align one day to see it, you know, go through. But uh, that's that's probably the biggest match right now for jujitsu. Whether it's gi or no gi, well, it doesn't even matter. They could do it both, and then the tiebreaker be MMA. I don't care. People just want to see it. Who do you think wins the sixty-six kg division this year? Uh man. Diego Pato is looking good. Like Diego Pato is that last performance was fucking insane. Yeah. Like his last couple, man, like he's, he's, he's getting vicious. And I think, you know, sometimes when you see submission specialists come into the game, right. They hit a peak when they get into black belt and they're like, okay, I can't do this because I need to be more strategic. 
and then they change their game. And then they then they find that rhythm of being strategic but technical and like submission oriented just enough. Pato has not taken his foot off the gas when it comes to being a dangerous submission hunter. So even though he's entered into vicious waters with like more dangerous black belts out there, he still hasn't changed his game. Even though he's with one of the most tactical coaches in the game right now, Guy Mendez, it's only made him better. So I don't I, I really think that he's um one of the favorites. And obviously he has a win over Diogo, who is the champion. So I, I think that he's the favorite right now. Now that being said, what about his wrestling though? I mean, it's good enough. You know, like if it man, like if he sits and pulls and breaks your leg, it doesn't matter that he gets a negative, right? Um, and you know, the only thing I will say is that Diogo Hayes is a masterful technician, and uh, I think he's going to give you know Pato some fits in their rematch. So it should be interesting to say, it's interesting to see for sure. Awesome. Well, I'm sure we can all look forward to that for ADCC Worlds this year. Can't wait. That's my Super Bowl. Um, yeah, uh, that's all I got for you, Ricardo. Is there anything you want to plug? Any social media or links or anything? Uh, you know, not not a ton. You know, I, my social media is uh, essentially my YouTube and Instagram is Ricardo Amadolia BJJ. Um, you know, check out uh, our upcoming events on Flow Grappling. I work at Flow full time now you know, commentating who's number one and some other events. We have a lot of exciting stuff. Like, you know, definitely if you're not a subscriber at Flow, I know there's some haters out there, but Flow's got like, in a, you know, the, one of the most robust programming schedules in the business. I'm not trying to sell you on this, but it's true. You know, like March coming up right now is going to be insane. Two ADCC trials, IEGA, Pan Ams, West Coast trials. Um, it's, it's, you know, fight to win. Um, you know, there's so many good events coming up in March, then April, then all the way up to ADCC. So if you're not a subscriber, you know, you get your money's worth and more. Um, so, you know, check that out. I don't really have a show or anything on flow anymore, but I will be commentating the next who's number one. So hopefully you guys, uh, watch that. Thank you for everyone. You know, always with the positive matches, uh, messages after I commentate. Um, I try my best to make the matches exciting, but, you know, knowledgeable as well when I commentate. So I appreciate all the positive messages and thanks so much for having me on here. I really appreciate your time. All right, guys, there you go. That's what, that's our show for today. Thank you, Ricardo Amendolio, for joining us. The Everyday Jiu-Jitsu Podcast is everything you need to know about Jiu-Jitsu. Take care, guys.